we honor mothers. I mean, and, uh, you know, of course, moms know as, as a whole that this is more than just having a baby, but uh, now you've got to care for the little critter. And uh, obviously there's a, a lot of work and investment in uh, taking care of a child and kind of being, you know, the one that's responsible. But uh, we all know that uh, there's a lot more ingredients go into it than simply changing diapers and giving some more food for the baby to take care of his or herself. And so we are certainly grateful for uh, that, uh, that gift of life and that, uh, that pouring and investing in a child's life. But I probably have to say from one that uh, kind of grew up in a broken home, I know what it's like to be loved and nurtured by someone else that is not officially my mother, but uh, that role of that uh, godly woman and the influence upon my life has probably been a real lifesaver. And uh, we trust that uh, not only that we honor those that we know, hey, they did a great job, uh, but on the other hand, we honor those that have done a great job and they didn't have to do a great job. They simply just invested and poured that in. in. Oh, Gage has a question. I may not hear it, but go Well, thank you. And you're not alone. There's been uh, quite a a number of of individuals that uh, have understood that kind of thing and that understand that. And so why do we honor moms? Uh, Because, number one, they're they're honorable. On the other hand, we also honor moms uh, because God says to honor them. I think that sometimes that becomes the challenge or the struggle that we may face if we have not experienced the beauty of a warm and vibrant relationship from a mom, we might say, now why would God tell us we need to honor our moms and and fathers when, you know, they weren't that great? Um, Let's turn to Exodus chapter 2. We'll read verses 1 through 10. Exodus chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. We simply look at one example in Scripture of a mom who obviously her heart was rather torn, and yet she did what she knew God wanted her to do with the time in which she had. Exodus chapter 2, beginning with verse 1, and we'll read down through 10. Now a man of the house of Levi married a Levite woman. She became pregnant, gave birth to a son. When she saw that that he was a fine child... She hid him for three months. But when she could hide him no longer, she got a papyrus basket for him, coated it with tar and pitch. Then she placed the child in it and put it among the reeds along the bank of the Nile. His sister stood at a distance to see what would happen to him. Then Pharaoh's daughter went down to the Nile to bathe, and her attendants were walking along the riverbank. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her slave girl to get it. She opened it and saw the baby. He was crying and she felt sorry for him. This is one of the Hebrew babies, she said. Then his sister asked Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and get one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you? Yes, go, she answered. And the girl went and got the baby's mother. Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this baby and nurse him for me, and I will pay you. So the woman took the baby and nursed him. 
When the child grew older, she took him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. She named him Moses, saying, I drew him out of the water. Father, help us as we, we take a journey uh, through some scriptures to think in terms of the marvel and, and the wonder of your plan and your purpose for one individual, one young child's life. And yet, we pray, God, that we might recognize how the details of life may not have always seemed to run so smoothly. We know one thing, that you're in control. And that your faithfulness will accomplish its great purposes. And through the faithfulness of others that have contributed to the makeup of who we are, we can truly know that when you do your great work, Lord, we can accomplish great things for you. We give you thanks and praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, to begin, we want to consider uh, in terms of thinking in, in these particular verses by looking at Exodus chapter 20 and verse 12, because I wanted to touch upon the thought of the importance of, at least biblically speaking, to honor our mother. It also says father, but in this case we're going to uh, consider the importance of the mother at this time. In Exodus chapter 20 and verse 12, God never seems to simply give commands because he just wants to keep us busy doing something. God gives us commands because they have a significant importance to them, but also they have an influence upon those that participate in the giving and receiving of that command. In Exodus chapter 20, verse 12, it says, Honor your father and your mother so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. We think in terms of the fact that there is a blessing associated with that. It should grab our attention. We think about not only that God has taught us the importance of honoring those that have, uh, have done honorable things to, to give us the shaping and forming of life. But one thought I just want us to plug in. I don't know how to honestly analyze the importance or significance of honoring our mothers, but I do know one thing. Not only is there a blessing there, but when you think of all the commands that God has given us in the Scriptures, this one made the top ten. It's in the Ten Commandments. Just stop and think about the elevation or the, the importance of that. Now, some would argue and say, is one command just as important as another? I don't know about you, but it kind of struck my, my thought when I thought about it. It made the big ten. And I thought, wow, that's pretty important. But not only is it mentioned that you will live long in the land, but we want to compare in, uh, in uh, Deuteronomy chapter 5 because there is also mentioned another unique blessing that is associated with this particular command. Now, in Deuteronomy chapter 5, once again, the Ten Commandments, or all of the commands, as you might say, are repeated again, but notice the blessing associated with this particular command. Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 16, Honor your father and your mother as the Lord your God has commanded you, so that you may live long and that it may go well with you, in the land the Lord your God is giving. Now, in the English translation, going well with you may not sound like a whole lot. But that concept is so that you will experience an abundance of favor from God. In other words, God noticed how our honor rate is, is communicated and expressed. He knows whether or not our, 
our parents are valued and treasured. He knows that if they're not. The important thing to note is that God has insisted by not only giving and communicating the importance of that command, he says it's getting a bonus to come with it. You get to the New Testament scriptures, and it clearly makes a note. This is the first commandment with a promise. Well, it not only made the top ten, it's the beginning of the promises. The concept of the promises is that when you do these things, God sees it, notes it, He highlights it, and He blesses you in proportion to that. So, if there's any reason that we oversimplify this and say, well, the reason you honor your mom and dad is because you're supposed to. The reason you honor your mom and dad is because you're getting a check in the mail. Then it begins to heighten the concept. The important thing is, it's part of God's plan to communicate the expression, not only of gratitude, but recognition. Your mom changed a lot of diapers. She put up with a lot of different things, did a lot of things, and, and taught us and nurtured us, and she even rode through the terrible twos with us. We're just approaching that now with another granddaughter. We stopped to think, wow, this is a big job, starting all over again, working with the young hearts and lives of children because their destiny, in some sense, is determined by how you change that diaper and how you nurture them and how you take them through these things. Uh, when we think about that, we, we trust it ought to kind of create a wow as we think about that unique opportunity. As followers of God, we are a people that do things I trust differently than the rest of the world, does it? We ought to certainly be leaders in demonstrating the way that honor indeed ought to be given. Regardless of the mess of our culture, uh, Mother's Day is a, a significant time in which we choose to humbly uh, demonstrate this. Not only the, 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 the official holiday of Mother's Day, but uh, throughout our lives. Uh, as I mentioned before, my experience and, and, uh, and uh, my addition to the concept of honoring the mothers has a lot to do with these others that have influenced in my life who have kind of filled in the gap when mom may or may not have been there. Uh, my mother and my stepmother as well made a huge impact upon my life. My grandparents truly made an impact. My wife my, and her mother probably were the most significant ones. And then, of course, there's many women, not only in this church, but throughout my life that have made an enormous impact upon my life in shaping me to be the individual that God intended. Let's go back to Exodus chapter uh, 1 now and begin by looking at verse 22. The story behind putting little Moses in the basket begins in chapter 1. Simply read verse 22 and then drop down in there again. Now Pharaoh gave this order to all his people. Every boy that is born, you must throw into the Nile, but let every girl live. And then we pick up in the beginning of chapter 2. Now a man of the house of Levi married a Levite woman. She became pregnant and gave birth to a son when she saw that he was, more accurately, a beautiful child. She hid him for three months. But when she could hide him no longer, she got a papyrus basket for him, coated it with tar and pitch. Then she placed the child in it and put it among the reeds along the bank of 
the Nile. Those mothers who have made a significant impact in my life and in the lives of many people that uh, God begins to use in unique and amazing ways is, is they helped me be realistic that the life that you and I live has plenty of problems, plenty of challenges, has lots of horror stories, but there's a God who has a plan. It's it may be seemingly an oversimplified concept, and of course God always has a plan, but to recognize that the plan that God has is in, in the midst of all of those challenges and difficulties of life. History is filled with all kinds of complications. It's, it's all kinds of stories or situations that allow things to break down and maybe be messed up and ripped to pieces. And yet God has a purpose. He has a plan that is so much bigger than life seemingly has dropped in front of us. God is still in control, and He has allowed this to take place. The scriptures such as in the Psalms, if you'd like to turn with me to Psalm chapter 5, that you'll find that many of the Psalms are written as statements of faith or confidences in what God can and should do in spite of the problems and circumstances that are racing through life. In Psalm 5, verse 11 and 12, we can read here, it says, But let all who take refuge in you, Lord, be glad. Let them ever sing for joy. Spread your protection over them, that those who love your name may rejoice in you. For surely, O Lord, you bless the righteous. You surround them with your favor and with your shield. The point we recognize when we think in terms of scriptures like this is it helps us understand when we acknowledge God and we follow God that life doesn't exempt us from the need of a shield. Life does not exempt us from all of the problems and challenges in life. And so no matter where you and I go in life, the world around us is going to create and have its own unique problems. And sometimes those problems become so large and so big that they mess up even the family of faith. What's important to realize is that I know that my grandmother was probably one of the most influential people in helping me to realize God is still here. When you think about it, she went through the Depression. She's been through several wars. She's gone through all kinds of issues and challenges in life, living a very simple life. But I can clearly remember when we're living there and not sure why we're over at Grandma's all the time because the parent thing wasn't going so well, she reminded us, there's a God. This is how you pray. This is the Bible we're going to read, a couple verses every day. We'll think about it. We can talk about it. We'll take you to church. The best of a mess. And when you think about that influence, that subtle influence where love was communicated and the simple foundations of faith, you have no idea what it does until later on you realize that's where it came from. I don't know whether you've ever thought about the people that have influenced you the most, about the formation of your faith and your value system and your convictions. We honor them because what they did, they imparted these things and placed them in our hearts. A second thing we want to look at in, in Exodus, going back to Exodus chapter 2, 
we'll touch upon verses 1 through 3 once again. Now, a man of the house of Levi married a Levite woman. She became pregnant and gave birth to a son. When she saw that he was a fine or beautiful child, she hid him for three months. But when she could hide him no longer, she got a papyrus basket for him, coated it with tar and pitch. When she placed the child in it and put it in among the reeds along the bank of the Nile. And his sister stood off at a distance. Suddenly we see that Jochebed is the name of Moses' mother. Her, she considers faith as an expression or cooperation of God's sacred calling. In other words, that idea of seeing the baby is beautiful, we might kind of chuckle and say, well, you know, what kind of mom isn't going to think their baby is the most beautiful one? You hear that. Um, I find it always interesting because I really can't tell the difference between a baby and a baby. And they say, well, isn't she beautiful? And I'm like, yeah, I guess she's beautiful. The last one was just as beautiful. I mean, I'm, I mean what would you think if you actually saw an ugly one? that God's favor is not upon the poor ugly child, the important thing to realize is she is seeing a beauty that is deeper than simply the appearance. Now Moses could have been a good looking one. Okay? I don't really know, but I'm not so sure that's any more who already had a faith consistent walk with God. And she sees God, if you're the one that designs life, if you're the one that has shaped him and framed him in my womb, then i got to trust that you knew about the fact that they're throwing babies in the Nile River. And this one's no junk. So she sees the beauty that, God, this must be a plan that I need to give him back to you. How do you give your child back to God? The circumstances dictated he's got to go in the Nile one way or the other. So she puts him in a basket and gives him to God with a plan of expectation, a dream, an imagination that only a godly mother can have. She simply tells to her little sister, or the big sister in his case, and says, watch and see. When we think about the, the concept of this, we realize that Jochebed uh, looks at, at Moses and, and, and sees by faith that God is a God of purpose, that God is a God who has a plan, that God has a, a, a beauty for your life. You know, I, I never really thought so much about the influence of my stepmother, but uh, after our, our family was kind of broken up and at seven years old, I simply was leaving on Monday, is what I was told. And off I go with my stepmother, off from Pennsylvania to Washington State, thinking, I don't know what I was thinking. <laughs> I remember laying on the back of the car. You know, those are the days when seatbelts really weren't that big of a deal. And I laid on the dash back there, and I played with a little car they gave me to play with to keep me occupied for 3,000 miles, okay? And, and off I go. But she was of a persuasion of faith that we would not call probably a credible Christian evangelical movement. I'll just put it that way. And yet... The influence she had was one that clearly was this idea that God has a plan for your life and part of the motivation of learning Christian principles and values or whatever they call biblical, I should say, principles and values is because everything you do, it leads to an end result. So you need to live your life because God has a plan for your life and you need to fulfill that plan. She, she instilled that as, now I'll just simply just reveal a little bit. It's of the Mormon twist, okay? And so their persuasion was 
that your purpose in life is mission. The purpose in life is your calling. Your purpose in life is you need to, to join God's plan. And though we wouldn't necessarily endorse a lot of their teachings, I never thought of how that was framed and forged in my mind so that when I came to a point of a little bit more maturity and a little bit more responsibility in life, I was clearly understood that the Bible does in fact teach that God created you for purpose. He has a plan for your life. And so the reaching of faith was translated into the reaching of whatever that is, I'm in. If I'm going to choose to claim to be a follower of Christ, then I need to reach for the calling of Christ. And so I didn't realize these kind of things. She was not the kind that was giving out a whole lot of hugs, and, and I'm not so sure at that age and the circumstances I was really interested in a whole lot of hugs from someone else, but she was the kind that it was a little bit more nitty-gritty. This is what it's about. This is what you got to do. This is what you got to be. But I realized that that shaped in my life the importance of understanding that whatever that calling is, I need to, in fact, go for that. It really wasn't a struggle for me to think in terms that God had created me and gifted me with certain abilities or whatever it was. There's a purpose in life. And I, I think that uh, a lot of uh, uh, other experiences that I went through in life kind of shaped uh, that formation. Um, when we think about uh, that influence, we, we trust that... Uh, Let's turn to Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11. This is what would really kind of activate that concept. These were the kinds of principles that uh, would be instilled in my young mind and heart. Not so much feeling of whether you feel like this or you feel like that. It's just this is what it is. God has a purpose. He's got a plan for your life. And you and I can respond to that and receive that plan as God unfolds. And so we're grateful for moms that have instilled and tried to present in our hearts and minds that, you know, you're not a piece of junk even if they, your life didn't turn out so well. That God has a purpose and plan regardless of how ugly or great it looks. That there is a unique uh, place that you fit, a calling upon your life that you and I ought to consider. In Jeremiah 29, 11, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. Now, I realize that that might be a scripture that is used a lot for people that may not feel so hopeful and experiencing these, but it doesn't change the fact that God knows before things happen. He has a direction and a, a bent in our lives, and it's our moms that forge that. They help to move us in that direction. And even though the circumstances for young Moses was, didn't look so promising, when she saw the child, she sees through the eyes of faith. Child, I don't know where you're going. I don't know what you're called to do. But God, you didn't make a mistake here. This one's yours. Think about it. Gets a basket, coats it with tar, sends it down the river. She probably observed over a period of time, I know what Pharaoh's daughter does. I know where Pharaoh's daughter goes. I know where she takes a bath. I know all these things. No doubt she probably prayed and prayed and prayed while the baby's growing in the womb. God, give me some insight. Give me some understanding because I'm going to present this child to you. 
is probably one of the most beautiful stories about dedicating a child to the Lord, is to think about all that was involved in that. The important thing was, I was taught, and many of us are taught, faith is about purpose. And your faith in God has a lot to do with your willingness to say, God, regardless of what I've gone through in life, as horrible as it may have been, as separating or devastating as it may have been through my life, God created us and designed us and destined us for a purpose in life. And that pain can be redeemed and those pasts can be restored that somehow He could take the mix of all that we've been through and bring us to a place where you and I can be used of God that you can't get there unless the circumstances actually uh, uh, put us in there. A third thing we want to consider when we think about the beauty or the role of mothers, particularly I, I share about experiences of my own. Going back to Exodus chapter 2, and we look at verses 3 through 7. Exodus chapter 2, verses 3 down through 7. But when she hid him, when, but when she could hide him no longer, she got a papyrus basket for him, coated it with tar and pitch, then she placed the child in it and put it among the reeds along the bank of the Nile. His sister uh, stood at a distance to see what would happen to him. Then Pharaoh's daughter went down to the Nile to bathe, and her attendants were walking along the riverbank. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her slave girl to get it. She opened it, saw the baby. He was crying. Good act, Moses. And she felt sorry for him. I was just kidding. This is one of the Hebrew babies, she said. Then his sister asked Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and get one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you? I wondered either Pharaoh's daughter wasn't really smart. I thought about that. Well, who does she think that mother was going to be that's going to nurse that child? But as we think in terms of the story, we're still looking at the aspect of Yochebed, not so much speculating on what uh, Pharaoh's daughter was thinking. But faith is sometimes oversimplified as patiently and quietly waiting. And I'm not trying to minimize the importance when there isn't a thing you can do in this life about learning how to put faith and trust in God when you can't do a thing about it. And yet this story is communicating, and being a mom, you're not allowed to sit there patiently and quietly when little Johnny hits two years old and he's off running. There is no quiet time, there's no patient time other than the heart cry of when they finally might fall asleep or whatever. But when we think in terms of the role of mother, we often think of the active role, the constant caring, nurturing, watching out for, you know, I spent, you know, spend a few hours, you know, when we're babysitting, and you close your eyes one second, and you're in big trouble real fast. <laughs> uh, I can clearly remember uh, Candace and Charles's son, Noah. I was in charge one time, and I'm supposed to watch him, and he's got his dump truck backed up to the fireplace. He loaded all the ashes in it, and he's delivering them all over the carpet. They say, well, how in the world could that have happened? I said, well, I just closed my eyes for couple seconds and you know pretty soon we got a mess of the house so you know you realize how quick uh, that can happen but we here we think about faith is is sometimes perceived as that idea of belief system that isn't connected with the actions of our hands and feet other times faith promotes itself it sets the stage for possibilities 
And so we see that element all through the faith of the Old Testament scriptures particularly, is faith was quite often an action concept. It's when the mom begins to not only visualize the potential of where their children are going to go in life, but they're praying like crazy, Lord, this one is yours. And if you need any ideas, I'll give you a few. You remember uh, uh, in the New Testament, we get to, to James and John, and their mother goes to Jesus and says, you know, would you give them a front row seat in the kingdom of heaven? We're thinking, you know, what kind of mom would do that? Well, any mom would do that when she believes that her son is really up there. And yet she begins to probably pray that way and believe that way. And I realize there's extreme cases of these views, but a mother who probably has had the great godly influence upon their children they have a tendency to pray god-sized prayers they have a tendency to pray not only for the salvation of their children but they're praying for positions in the kingdom of god particularly in the old testament you think of individuals such as hannah when she couldn't conceive she went to plan b god this one's yours you give me a son i'll give him to you and god says wow i'll take that what happens she conceives now what i'm trying to simply say was a mindset that went along with the simple concept of faith that God calls people to, to make an influence in life. And when they began to pray with an attitude of faith and confidence that this could be a child of the Messiah someday, that the idea was, Lord, the greatest thing I could do, the greatest blessing you could give me is to give me a child that reflects your name and glory. Any godly woman understands, boy, to have the kids grow up and to love God as well and to live for God, that's a double honor. And we think in terms of, of this, that Jochebed knew the time had come for, for Moses to, to uh, come out of hiding. She was forced in some sense by the circumstances, but she takes charge and says, Lord, this is what I'm going to know. And so we think in terms of that, and probably uh, uh, not only has my wife and her, her mother, my mother-in-law, made such an influence on the kind of lifestyle that kind of takes charge. Now, Connie's not so much a take charge here, but at home, she keeps me in line. No, I'm only kidding. But her mom is another story. This is how you live for God. This is what you won't do anymore, and this is what you need to begin to do. And out of love, she's kind of aggressive. In Tennessee, they use shotguns down there to solve problems. When you're in church in Tennessee, it's prayer. Her mother, her grandmother, they take the altars and they hold on and they pray. And I've seen women as well in, in our church, they pray and they pray because they understand that faith's it's about taking an opportunity and seizing it. And as we think in terms of the shaping and forming of our lives, I'm reminded of two scriptures that I believe can, can somewhat connect to the concept of why as a godly mother that you would not only see that Moses is beautiful, but Moses has potential not because of his appearance, he has potential because of the circumstances. That is, God, you brought this child into life, and therefore I'm going to give him back to you, and I'm going to turn him loose. The odds against Moses were really, really bad. Thinking about the fact he's floating down the river, all the babies are commanded to be wiped out, and, and all these kind of things. And she played within this with an attitude, God, 
I'm simply going to give him to you. I'm doing my part, and I'm volunteering for the next part. Because when you come back, Miriam's already got a plan. Now go tell him. Somebody needs to take care of the baby, by the way, because Pharaoh's uh, daughter probably wasn't interested in taking care of him. I mean, who wants to take the baby back and begin to do, you know, the baby stuff? Why as well bring him back when he's, you know, he's already dignified and, and, and housebroken and all that kind of stuff? And, you know, you move on. But here in 2 Chronicles chapter uh, 16 and verse 9. 2 Chronicles 16 verse 9. For the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to Him. I've had many conversations with Connie's about what commitment looks like and what it entails and how you begin to trust that when you give yourself to God, God already wants to use you in places that you and I have no idea and imagine. And I think that uh, she was a great influence in my life in challenging that kind of uh, godly commitment to truly live for the Lord. And there have been many others within the church in my years of ministry that not only demonstrate that example, but tr- but really promote the fact that God is looking for people. And when you and I come to Him and we avail ourselves to that, we can have confidence that you and I are going to be considered a beautiful baby. Even when we get a little older, it'll be a beauty of of what God is able to do in and through our lives. But one that's uh, uniquely tied together with that is in 2 Chronicles, earlier in the book, in chapter 1. 2 Chronicles chapter 1. So we move from the idea of the fact that, well, whatever God's calling is on your life, that's the way it is. That particular verse in 2 Chronicles 16 helps us to understand that if you're a mother or you're a woman of influence in the church, that that promise literally belongs to anybody who would humbly say, I'm willing to be committed to God. There are many people that believe that if you're called to be someone or called to some ministry, that's just the way it is. Whether you want to live for God in in a, a bold way or not is irrelevant, because if you're not called, then you're not called. This scripture goes against that in some sense and says the called ones are those who are committed. It's almost as if God... Is, is searching out upon the earth looking for a heart that's in the right place so he can put their feet in the place that he needs to use us. An entirely different concept. And I believe uh, Connie's mother particularly was one that she held on to that value concept that God literally will use anybody who's willing to humbly say, I'm available. I'm willing to be receptive to that. Second Chronicles chapter 1. Now we want to read verses 7 through 12. That night God appeared to Solomon and said to him, Ask ask for whatever you want me to give you. Solomon answered, God, you have shown great kindness to David my father. You have made me king in his place. Now, Lord God, let your promise to my father David be confirmed. For you have made me king over a people who are as numerous as the dust of the earth. Give me wisdom and knowledge that I may lead this people for who is able to govern this great people of yours. God said to Solomon, Since this is your heart's desire, and you have not asked for wealth, riches, or honor, nor for the death of your enemies, and since you have not asked for a long life, 
but for wisdom and knowledge to govern my people over whom I have made you king. Therefore, wisdom and knowledge will be given to you, and I will also give you wealth, riches, and honor, such as no king who was ever before you ever had, and none after you will have. Again, we can play, pray, have a, a mother or mother-in-law who, who simply prays that things would work out well for me, or you have one that prays for God's blessing and favor upon the things that really matter in life. And I think that's uh, her influence and her position and stance on faith is that God not only will call or use you when we're committed to Him, but also the way you pray matters. How you pray, the intensity you use, and the specifics and details of that. As a mom, we obviously are in a position to pray that everything's going to be great for our children. We're also in a position to be selective and believe that when you pray for the right things, God knows how to double it. He knows how to give you all of the extra things in life. And so it was that influence that the center of her life and the purpose of her life was not only to live this honorable life for God herself, but she insisted upon that we understand that when you give your life to God in commitment and you pray for God's favor upon the work of the kingdom, all these things are going to be taken care of. She never had much. I don't think she ever wanted much. But she believed and believes and continues to pray for all her children and all her grandchildren, trusting that God would be the most important element in their life. And so when we think about calling, we sometimes might think, oh, well, I don't know if I'm going to like the calling that God's going to give me. The flip side is, God is looking for hearts, and He will fill them, and He will use them when we give them to Him. And a mom that is able to communicate, and women in the church are able to communicate, that there's only a few things in life that are really, really important. The rest of it, it'll fall into place when the priorities are where they ought to be. What? Oh, wow, we're in overtime. The last thought I had is when we think about uh, Miriam, uh, uh, Moses' sister. Uh, she was obviously courageous and uh, and the mother was, was faithful every moment that she had. But you could imagine the giving the child over and the receiving the child back because she realized not only the potential beauty of what faith ought to reach for, but you could imagine when Marion came back with the good news, I got him. What would you do with the child if you had, my understanding, maybe up to six years old to do everything you can to pour into this little heart. And then there's going to be a day you've got to give them back. Every moment counted. Every prayer mattered. Every song they sing. Every scripture or thought of God put in that young heart is all you have. Your example. The way you walk, the way you talk, the way you breathe, the way it is. Godly mothers were able to impart and instill. And probably the greatest influence in my life is those of you who have been kind of a sister and mom role, where you live for the Lord Jesus Christ. You pray, you breathe, you hold these things dear. It's all part of that nurturing process. 
I can't honestly say I grew up with the song sung in my ear. I can't remember the details of my own biological mother. But I can clearly remember your influence, the impact you've had. Because you and I live for the Lord Jesus together. That nurturing will definitely make up for the nurturing that may have been lost in the beginning stages. We'd all love to have been grown up in perfect homes where faith was imparted to us, it was granted to us, but we can't minimize. There have been others that God brings alongside to fill in that gaps. But that nurture, the times that we are together is what prepares us for the times we go back into Pharaoh's territory. And we keep believing and trusting. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for been granted to us for the truth that's been imparted. Thank you for our moms and the influence they had and for those that have been motherly for us and to us. We praise you, God, for your great purpose and plan. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless. Happy Mother's Day.